Good morning. I don't know if I've ever sung that song, Jim. I'm not 100% sure if I have. It sounded familiar, but I tell you, that was a beautiful song. I, I thought it was very appropriate for the lesson this morning. <clears throat> and for those of you that may have been coming to Bible class on Sunday mornings, you might might be fairly familiar with the little little bit that I have to say here this morning. <coughs> but hopefully I'm going to throw a little bit of a different um, look on what we've talked about in Bible class anyhow. Because this morning we're going to be looking at uh, the first time that someone had sinned. And my plan is, is through this is to look to see if there are any differences in the temptations that were put before uh, Eve as it was as it is for us today. But before we get into uh, chapter 3 here in Genesis, which I'm not going to focus strictly on the text here in Genesis, just so you know, I don't want you to get too bored uh, for those of you that have been in my, my class on Sunday mornings. But before we get into this <coughs> too much, for those of you that might not have been able to, to come, uh, we don't have a whole lot of, of information as far as the time span in between Genesis 2 and Genesis 3 on how much was going on there, but there are a few things, and I want us to, to look at what the world was like before this temptation had presented itself to Eve. And when we look, go through and we look, and obviously uh, uh, we might be fairly familiar with the, the first two chapters of Genesis, for in it we find the creation account of how God had created uh, the world. But if we was to look at that, in Genesis 1, we'll find that after every day, God had looked upon what he had done and said it was good. <coughs> so he created light and looked upon it and said it was good. He created the, the seas and the land and looked upon it and said it was good. He created the the sun, the moon, the stars, the animals, the plants, the trees. And after every day, he looked at it and said, it was good. Then after he created uh, what I heard a, a preacher say one time, the pentacle of his creation, man and woman. And he, <coughs> he created them, and after finishing his creation with them, he looked upon everything, and in verse 31 of chapter 1 of Genesis says, Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now, in thinking of this, and thinking of how that God had looked upon every day and everything that he had created and said, Well, this was good, this was good. And at the end saying, This was very good. You know, we might sometimes put in our, our minds because we're thinking about how this might have been 
and we might think about maybe a project that we might have had um, taken on upon ourselves. Maybe it had been a, a project around the house. Maybe it had just been something as simple as, as <coughs> doing laundry or something. But we might have done some things, and it might have taken several days to get these things done. But after we get done with it, we look upon what we've done, and we say, boy, this was good. We might even say, this was very good. But if you're anything like me, and after you say that, maybe even in the same breath, you might say, but, man, I, I, I made a little mistake right here. And therefore, having a defect in what you said was very good. I point this out because I want us to understand that when God said it was very good, there was no defect in his creation. For when he said it was very good, the world was perfect. Now, I want us to understand, because what we're about to talk about as well, that God made us, made uh, uh, Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, along with each one of us, free-willed creatures. We all have free will to make the decisions of whether or not we want to follow God or not. And so with that, we may make a mistake. We may fall away. We might fall into temptation and make a mistake. But that doesn't mean that God's creation had a mistake. So that being said, we find that at the end of day six, that God had said that it was very good. So we find <coughs> a world that was perfected in the creation that God had made. Now, establishing that, uh, like I said before, we don't know exactly how much time had passed in between uh, uh, day six there, all right, you can even go on into day seven as far as when, when God had, had finished his creation and had stopped creating ultimately is what it meant when he said that he had rested. He had simply stopped creating, was never going to create again as we'd gone over in class. But we don't know how much time had, had passed in between that time frame. But as we open up our Bibles to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, we find something strikingly different. We find that there was a change somewhere. Because we find that as we look at the beginning of chapter 3 in, in Genesis, <coughs> that someone through a serpent was questioning God and even more so went on into defying God. So before we go any further, we need to first of all find out, well, who was this that was questioning God and defying God? Well, we find there in, the, in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 3, it was named a serpent because it says now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made now we might have 
heard the serpent being referenced to as far as Satan somewhere in our in our time of, of studying God's word where well, I want to point that out to you uh, now there may be other places as well <coughs> but the verse that I'm going to throw out there for you is in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9 what we read of says so the great dragon was cast out that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world he was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Now, this, the, the, I'm not trying to get into all the technicals here in Revelation. I'm not going to go down a Revelation path here. That's not my intent this morning. But what I'm trying to point out here is how the, the devil, or Satan, was referenced to as the serpent of old. Ultimately, coming back here to Genesis chapter 3, where we find the serpent being Satan. So now that we know that it was Satan who the one who was the one that was defying God, we understand that it was him who was the deceiver. And as we will see, he comes at us as he comes came at Eve with a plan. And just wanting to point out the aspect that my title for today's lesson was uh, the deceiver's plan. Um, I think I said that right. I, I didn't look at it right as I was saying that, and I think that's what I text Jeremy. So, But like I said, my hope here this morning is that we look at the account here in chapter 3, in the first six verses, in the temptation of Eve <coughs> and ultimately Adam as well, uh, that we find a plan and see if there are any similarities on how that Satan might come at us today. So as we think about this, I wanted to read Genesis chapter 3 and the first six verses. Now, I usually use the, King, the New King James Version, but as I was looking over for this lesson this morning, I came across the English Standard Version, and I'll be honest, I really like the way that they have this one worded. It says... Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of, the tree, of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you, sh you will not surely die. For God, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree <clears throat> was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now, with that question that Satan had threw at Eve, and like I said, the reason I picked the English Standard Version was because 
I like the way that they had worded that question when he had said, did God actually say throwing up possibly doubt in Eve's mind? Is that what he really said? Did he do that? For you see, Satan teaches us first to doubt. After we doubt, and that doubt sets in, he will then allow us to deny. Because with doubt comes, after it sets in and is fully matured, will then come uh, denying. Because he promises advantages, as in Adam and Eve's case of their eating of this fruit. He promises these things, things that, that might sound good, because he aims to, to make us, or in our example here this morning, Adam and Eve's uh, uh, present state, their, their situation that they are currently in, he tries to make it seem like it's not as good as what it should be or what it might, what you might want it to be. Even though the present state we might be in might be great. I mean, look at the first couple here, Adam and Eve. I mean, they were living in paradise. And what is Satan doing? He is trying to make them understand, or trying to make them believe that they could have it better, ultimately. So let us look at some of these steps that uh, Satan takes Eve down. First, he had her saw. She saw the fruit. And friends, a great deal of sin can come with the eye. And we would do good to not look upon things that we might be struggling with as far as a, a sinful nature. I, I've heard it taught, and I strongly believe it as well, that we all have certain tendencies, certain struggles that we deal with individually. Some of us might have a, a different struggle than others, but we all have something that we struggle with personally. And we need to know these things. Now, we don't need to be off guard on some of the other things that we might not struggle with as much, but we need to know the things that we truly struggle with so that we can be aware of them. Now, when I thought about how that <coughs> Eve had saw the fruit and how that, that was pretty much the first step in, in Satan's uh, uh, temptation here, was getting her to look at the fruit and thinking, well, did he really say that, that you shall not eat of every tree? I'm also reminded of old King David in 2 Samuel chapter 11 when he was upon his rooftop and looked upon uh, uh, over the, the land and saw Bathsheba. Now, I'm not going to get into that right now, but I... Most of us, I believe, are, are familiar with this account and how that he had saw Bathsheba bathing and had inquired about her 
But once again, he started with seeing. He saw, just as Eve saw the fruit. The next thing that he did <clears throat> had her take of the fruit. So after she saw the fruit, she took it down and held it in her hand. Now, we had talked about it in class, and as far as the command, or as far as how Eve had made mention back to Satan, uh, within, I think it was verse 3, how that she said that we should not eat of it, nor shall we touch it. But when we look over in, in chapter 2, where God is telling Adam that you, know, you shall not eat of it, doesn't make reference to touching it. So, I mean, we don't know for sure whether or not that was actually something that God had commanded that you shouldn't touch of it either. But anyhow, even of her touching it and her words was already going against God's word anyhow. So if that was something that she had put in her head, she was already committing uh, uh, sin just by touching it. But she had taken of it, and she is looking upon it. So she saw it, she took it. But we need to keep in mind that even though we do these things, it is not Satan that is forcing us upon these things. For we need to remember 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 where Paul says, No temptation has overcome you that is not common to man, but God is faithful, and he will not, allow, will not let you to be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So, after she saw the fruit, she took of the fruit. The third, she partook other fruit she ate the fruit and it may have been that when Satan first started talking to her <clears throat> that when she looked upon it she didn't really intend on taking of it when she took up took the fruit and held it in her hand she might not have really intended on actually eating the fruit but so is the way of sin once we start down that path it is harder and harder and harder to turn away from it when we start into that temptation, whatever that temptation might be that Satan puts before us. So after she, they take these, she has these three steps, and she partakes of this, this fruit that defies God's word, Satan's not done. He continues on Eve. And how does he do this? Well, in the latter part of verse 6, we find that ultimately Satan had used Eve to hand the fruit to Adam. Rather than Eve stepping back and saying, oh, I've done wrong. Don't, don't do it, Adam. I did wrong. She tempted Adam with it as well, which brings up a good lesson for us as well because <clears throat> we may be tempted from someone who we might not possibly suspect sometimes. It, it might be a surprise to us on some, some of the ways that, that Satan gets into people and, and allows us to be tempted. 
And sometimes it might be someone that might have a great influence upon us, whether it be our spouse as it is here in the garden, whether it be a co-worker that you've really uh, uh, confided in and, and, and trust and respect, but whatever the case may be, we need to be careful as well, even those that are closest to us. So the question can be asked as we look upon these steps that Satan had taken with Eve, is, there still, is, is this still a plan that Satan can use today against us? Well, there may be other plans out there, and I'm not trying to say that this is the only way that Satan comes at us, but I believe that a lot of times if we was to look back into temptations that we might have fallen into, that we'll see that it kind of wrapped around the same aspect here on how that we saw the temptation, how that we might have came closer to it to get a better look at it, as you, if you will. Might even played around with the idea in our head until it came upon us and we were partaking of whatever the temptation might have been. So if that's the case, we can also ask the question, well, how can we defeat the temptation? Well, in asking this question, my thoughts immediately rolled back to Matthew chapter 4. Because within Matthew chapter 4, we find where Satan had come to Jesus and had tempted him in three different ways. And I've heard it put before that it was... he, he tempted Jesus in three different ways. He had the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And every way that Jesus was tempted, he came through it. And how did he come through it? Well, when you read through chapter 4 of Matthew, you'll find that he used scripture every time to back up the reason why he was not going to go down that path, the reason why he was not going to be tempted by in a way of being able to turn around and say, no, flee from me. So obviously with that, we have to be able to to have a way to be able to study and to know God's word so that we can walk away from the temptations that we are presented with because once again God knows what we know he cares about us and as in 1 Corinthians 10 13 it made reference to that he will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can handle but we all realize that in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 that all have fallen short, or all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But if we was to flip a few chapters over, because I, I know we use that verse a lot in Romans 3 and chapter, chapter 3 and verse 23, as far as how that all has fallen, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And sometimes we might use that as a crutch in a sense. 
But when we flip just a few chapters over in Romans, in Romans chapter 6, the first four verses, Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2 says, Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And then he goes on to explain how that, Do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Folks, yes, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, Satan does come at us with temptations, and yes, sometimes we fall into them. But as Paul had made mention to, we do have a way of coming out of them. We do have a way of being forgiven of these things. Because it is through Christ that we can have that forgiveness of sins. It is through that baptism, that watery grave of baptism, that we can put to death those sins of our past. And it is just that easy to. We might, some of us, or some people might look upon us and, and when we try to tell them that and say, that just doesn't even sound right. How, how can something that simple be the case? Well, it is. Because God said it is. God said that that's how easy it is and we need not to forget it now just because it's something easy doesn't mean that living the life is easy it can be very difficult but it is something that God will help us through this morning my hope was to strive to allow us to to think about how that Eve was tempted how that she had partaken of something that she shouldn't have taken partaken of, and how that it, Adam had also done the same thing. I, sometimes I think we 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 dwell a lot on Eve and not think too much about Adam. But Adam had done the same thing. He had fallen short just as well and partaken of the fruit. And we need to remember these things so that as we continue to live out this life, that we may continue to push away those temptations. We may continue to have our eyes focused on God. So this morning, the Lord's invitation is open. If you have not put on Christ through baptism, then you are still carrying around those sins that you've committed over your life. So if you have not not been baptized, we invite you this morning to come up, and if you want to know more about that, we'll be more than happy to sit down and talk with you about it. But the invitation is also open to those who have been baptized, have been become a Christian.
And if you need help, if you need to repent in a public way, or if you need prayers to the church, we invite you to come as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.